St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. That came as such a huge relief. Huge relief. Because it meant that there wasn't something that needed to be fixed. There wasn't, I wasn't damaged goods, I wasn't broken. There was a reason for what I was experiencing. And it was, it was real, it was valid, and it was something that I could learn to coexist with and work around. That's Jen Kerner. She's a theater artist who, in her day job, has worked with people with developmental disabilities, including autism, for nearly a decade. A few years ago, she received her own diagnosis. I'm Nancy Fowler. And I'm Jeremy Goodwin. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Kerner is involved with two upcoming theater productions with sensory-friendly performances. That means they are adapted for people with autism and other developmental disabilities. Coming up September 2nd is an adaptation of Newsies, the story of newspaper boys in New York City at the end of the 19th century. That's at the Florissant Civic Center. And on September 20th, a sensory-friendly presentation of The Wizard of Oz will be held at Christ Memorial Lutheran Church. We talked with Kerner about her own autism diagnosis and her longtime passion for theater and how these two things intertwine. So when we talk about sensory-friendly productions, what exactly does that mean? A sensory-friendly performance is adapted usually only very slightly um, to meet the needs of audience members with autism or sensory processing disorder, other disabilities or conditions that affect how we perceive the world through our senses. Um, and I come at this with, with a little extra expertise. I'm on the autism spectrum myself. So okay. I'm, I'm a disability services professional who is a performer who is on the autism spectrum. I think that makes me a triple threat, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but the, uh, the thing that autism and other developmental disabilities can do in terms of your senses is it can affect how sensitive you are to different kinds of input. So you can be undersensitive or oversensitive to things like sound, noise, um, light, um, temperature, certain textures, certain smells. Um, you can be over or undersensitive to pain. And in terms of putting that into practice in a sensory-friendly performance, we look at how to deliver a full theatrical experience. It's the show. You know, the, the actors are doing, for the most part, the exact same thing. The crew's doing, for the most part, the exact same thing. It's the show. But we look at taking down the intensity of some of the really intense cues, like a strobe light effect might be replaced by something sort of mimicking it that would be less intense but still deliver the effect that we look for. Um, volume of microphones, if you're using microphones, volume of microphones might be turned down. You might mic less people. Um, generally, the house lights are left on dim, which takes down the intensity of something that we theater people kind of take for granted, which is a quick blackout. Um, sure. That can be... Just your standard blackout lights up can be difficult for someone with sensory processing issues to keep up with. You know, once you 
have caught up inside your brain. Once your brain's caught up with the fact that the lights went out, now they're back on. Now you're behind and you can, I call it like the blue thinky circle of death that happens when your computer freezes up. <laughs> so what led you to seek or to receive a diagnosis? I had speculated for years, but what really pushed me to it was the experience I had in a production I did about four and a half years ago. Okay. Um, the It was a large cast show in a space that was very echoey and sound bouncing off the walls. And once we got the orchestra in, I found myself really struggling on on a sensory level, with particularly with noise, with auditory. This was a production of The Music Man. So just imagine all those trombones. <laughs> and, 76 uh, of them. We didn't, we didn't quite have 76, but there, there were enough. There were enough trombones. During the rehearsals for this production, I, I just kind of got to a point of saying, I need to find out if there is actually something wrong or if there is a reason that I'm getting so worn out by the simple act of being at a vocal rehearsal with the full band. And so one thing led to another. I started with a, uh, with a counselor, actually, that I had been going to who kind of suspected, pointed me in the direction of somebody um, who could evaluate me professionally. And lo and behold, there it was on paper after years of speculating that I was on the autism spectrum. And that came as such a huge relief, huge relief, because it meant that there wasn't something that needed to be fixed. There wasn't, I wasn't damaged goods. I wasn't broken. There was a reason for what I was experiencing, and it was it was real, it was valid, and it was something that I could learn to coexist with and work around. Okay. <laughs> so were you just taking it in? Yeah, just, that's yeah. a compelling story. It really Thank is. You. It really is. It's it's pretty amazing. I, so I'm curious: Were you already working with sensory friendly productions before this diagnosis, or did that lead to? It all kind of wove together in a really interesting way. I was not working, I was not looking at um, working with sensory-friendly performances before my diagnosis, but I was already working in disability services. Um, I had found that despite my degree being in journalism and not being, you know, in special education or human services major of any kind, uh, when I came on board with what was then called life skills as a job coach and then later as a pre-vocational trainer. I found that I really was able to understand and recognize the barriers that the people I supported were facing. And I was kind of able to speak their language and recognize that if you look like you're in distress, let me look at the environment. And I kind of understood that instinctively. I guess we know why now. because I was right there with them and experiencing, sometimes to a lesser degree, but experiencing a lot of the same things. So post-diagnosis, in retrospect, did your career path look different to you and, and make more sense? I think, it, I think that's a really accurate way to put it. I, I landed where I am quite naturally. Um, I'm my father's child. My dad was a musician. I 
have a feeling that a lot of the tendencies that I have, I inherited from him. Um, he has been gone for many years now, and he came up in the age before anyone knew what autism was. But I wonder quite often if he would have been diagnosed on the spectrum as well. Um, but given given that I'm my father's child and given that I am who I am and the way I am, my career path really couldn't have turned any other way, I don't think. Can we backtrack for a moment to sure. talk a little more about what these um, sensory-friendly productions are like and maybe with respect to Newsies and, and or Wizard of Oz? Sure. The great thing about... Newsies in particular is it's not an effects heavy show. There's not strobe and pyro and gunshots and and all these things, you know. There's it's really from a technical perspective very straightforward. From a dance perspective it is anything but straightforward and that's why I did not audition. <laughs> but lots a, of lots of choreography. Lots of tap, lots of insane dancing that I wish I had any of the training and coordination to do. From a technical standpoint, it's not a super effects heavy show. You know, there's a little haze here and there and and I think the actors are changing maybe one thing in terms of, of positioning or how they use the house. But other than that, really all we're having to do is keep the house lights on dim so that it's more comfortable for the audience in terms of being able to recognize where they are in space, being able to still physically see where they are, and to be able to handle the quick blackout, quick lights up that we theater people are so used to. Um, so that's, that's nice. That's a really great entry point, um, for a sensory friendly production for a company that's never done one before is a show that's not super effects heavy. I'm real excited to see what we're going to do with Wizard of Oz, um, over at Christ Memorial, uh, because there are effects that you have to have in order for the Wizard of Oz to work. You have to be able to disappear the witches. You have to be able to show the twister. And I'm really excited about the plans that we have to make that happen at both our regular run and our sensory-friendly performance. So do folks find that there's a barrier in being able to take their autistic child to the theater to experience the arts and all their and all their splendor? It's difficult. It's difficult because theater is designed to stimulate the senses. It's designed really to be a full body experience. You know, if you go to a really good show, you're having emotional reaction, you're having a physical reaction because of what you're seeing. And Consider how intense that can be for someone who is not on the spectrum or who does not have these sensory issues. Now amplify that, make everything about 500 times louder in your head, and, and it can be, it can present a barrier to being able to go and enjoy a show. You know, you can go and, and kind of 
brace yourself and suffer through it. But then you're not really getting the full experience because you're concentrating on making it through. You know, if we can lower some of those hurdles a little bit, that lets people really enjoy being at the theater and maybe even developing an interest in it. Um, if you'll allow me to ramble for a second. Sure. Um, the the, uh, the sort of the long game that I have in mind is as theater companies and, and families with children with autism or other disabilities become more comfortable in each other's spaces, I'm hoping that that being able to enjoy the theater will give some of these young people an interest in and curiosity about the theater and about the arts in general and and maybe be inspired to try singing or acting or dancing or poetry or visual art, um, getting involved on the technical side, learning how the soundboard works, you know, how the light board works, how to sew costumes. You don't know what talent is going to be sitting out there in the audience until you give that audience the chance to really be inspired by what they're seeing. So what will these performances be like for someone who doesn't have sensory issues? How will that be for for them, like the, the companion or the parent or the friend or the spouse that might go? For, for the people who are there supporting someone who's there because they have sensory needs, I think the biggest thing for them is that it's going to be a judgment-free environment. They're not going to sure. have to worry about other people in the audience giving them that look. We've all seen that look that if their child needs to get up and and bounce or pace or if they just need a break in the middle of the show, no one's going to be giving them that look because the majority of this audience is where they are. So I think that's going to be the, the best thing for parents and loved ones and caregivers is that total lack of judgment. And that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that I'm glad to see these performances taking off. And that's a different environment? The lack of judgment is a change of pace for some? It can be. It can be. Um, if, if you're not familiar with autism or with developmental disabilities, a lot of the, the ways that a child with autism or a child with sensory issues is going to communicate their distress is going to look like misbehavior if you're not familiar with it. So you're going to have people looking at you going, control your child, you know, without understanding why it has gotten to this point in the first place. In your personal experience, is is there something about being on stage and, and being an actor that is a particularly comfortable space for someone who's on the spectrum? Is it a good mesh? In my experience, yes. Uh, what I found in theater is a safe social laboratory. It's where I'm surrounded by people who will let me fumble my way around through new or unfamiliar situations. And if I fall on my face social skills-wise, as I do often, um, there's, again, it's that judgment-free environment. Theater has has been that safe space for me to practice and get better at peopling. And there's also the wonderful, wonderful element of a script. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, when, I am, uh-huh. when I'm on stage, when I am a character, I have usually a script, I have an idea of 
why this character is doing what they're doing. I have an idea of why others are responding to this character the way they are. I know where it's going. I have a director who has given me clues. I have all of these things that I don't have in real life. So it's a terrific escape. That's so fascinating because I think a lot of folks who haven't been in the theater but maybe attend shows focus on the sort of public speaking, public display aspect of acting and um, see that as a as a rigid, maybe in fact judgmental arena. But in the rehearsal room, backstage, when you're working with your peers, as you say, it's actually a, tends to be frequently a very open environment where the idea of failing five times before you succeed is just that's the way you do it. Right. And and having the opportunity as an actor to make choices. And maybe it's a really, really bad choice, but I can try again and again. And that's what rehearsal is. Um, I know I do this, and I think a lot of people on the spectrum do this. I rehearse everyday social interactions. Um, if I know that I'm going to have to make a really difficult, potentially awkward phone call at the day job if I have to deliver bad news. Um, I sort of practice that before I even make the call. If I'm going to be in a new situation, meeting somebody new, I kind of practice how am I going to approach this person? How am I going to look confident in this situation? So I rehearse every day, even if I'm not in a show. That was Jen Kerner, a St. Louis theater artist who advises other theater professionals about sensory-friendly presentations. I'm Nancy Fowler. And I'm Jeremy Goodman. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from our editor, David Caceres. The intro and outro music is by local musician Eric Hall. And I should mention that this is my final cut and paste, and I'm leaving Uh... it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm leaving it in the... Your very capable hands, Yay. the hands of Jeremy Goodwin, who will be bringing you this podcast going forward. But we can continue to hear your arts and culture absolutely coverage I'm not, on the air, and... not going anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, and as usual, you can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma Architects, Planners, and Designers. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.